Welcome in to the newest edition of the Justin Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson. And in this week's episode, we'll be talking about the NFL and what's happening there. We will touch on our NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack. We will look at the NBA, what's happening the season is ramping up. We will touch on college basketball returning, and we will have our best for last. Now remember, you can like, rate, and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Spotify. And don't forget to follow the social media handle at Daytime Sports. That's on Facebook, that's on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. Now that is where you get all your breaking news and your coverage along with knowing what's going on with the podcast. Now I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. Welcome into the show. Um, what an absolutely loaded 24 hours we had, um, especially in the world of football. Of course, where we always start with football season, we start in the NFL. Uh, absolutely crazy last 24 hours. Um, we're going to go a little bit in reverse. So we're going to go how it ended back to how it started um, in terms of the crazy news cycle. So last night, of course, Thursday night football, Baltimore Ravens, Miami Dolphins, um, absolute snooze fest about three quarters. Uh, it was, it was rough. Not shocking that the Dolphins had no offense. Uh, they've had no offense for the last pretty much year and a half, except for the games Ryan Fitzpatrick started for them. And Baltimore has a really good defense, well coached, um, led by Wink Martindale. So that was not a shock that Miami did nothing. For basically three quarters. Um, it was a shock, however, that the Baltimore Ravens had no answer for anything. Um, and, and I've noticed that uh, over the course of the Ravens, this Lamar Jackson Raven era, that they're not a comeback team. Now, whether that's Lamar Jackson, whether that's Greg Roman, um, you know, who knows what the direct root cause of it is. But they seem to have overcome that a little bit this year they had the massive comeback uh in prime time against the colts they had the comeback um just last week against the minnesota vikings um and they had another comeback earlier this year double digit comeback uh, he did that three times this year he had never done that in his career him being lamar jackson up until that point and it seemed like you know adjustments were working better lamar would kind of figure it out and go to work and then you know that defense is good like i said uh, marcus peters Calais campbell um, Marlon Humphrey, not Marcus Peters, sorry, he's injured right now. Um, Marlon Humphrey, um, and the rest of that crew on defense, Patrick Queen, uh, Owa, uh, th- those guys can play over there in Baltimore on defense. And so it was always a little weird that the offense could never really get going, defense giving opportunities, etc. Um, but last night was one of those nights. Um, they went down double digits and they didn't make the comeback this time. Uh, they went, they were down double digits going to the fourth and didn't make the comeback. Um, it was one of those strange nights, but and even was highlighted by a big man touchdown. I didn't count Robert Hunt uh, out of ULL. I think he's in his second or third year now with the Dolphins. Uh, caught a screen pass from Tua, uh, who didn't even start. Uh, caught a screen from Tua, made a guy miss, jumps over the end zone, jumps over the goal line, gets hit, sticks the ball out, lands on his head, uh, gets post game interviewed. It was great. Now they got like a picture of it inside the team on the team elevator inside the Miami Dolphins facility. Um, absolutely great moment. Hilarious moment. Really kind of broke the game 
slumber out. Um, and you had a little drama there on the Dolphins side. Uh, Jacoby Brissett started again because Tua is still dealing with the fracture in his middle finger. Um, so Brissett got the start. Like I said, he did a whole lot of nothing. Um, and Brissett ends up hurting his knee which brought Tua in because Tua, they said he could be used if needed, but they didn't want to start him. He comes in, does a whole lot of nothing for a lot of the time he was in, but ultimately ends up leading a couple of scoring drives. Um, and, well, really one. Or it, was, it was a couple. Um, Xavier Howard made a great play. Uh, forced a fumble, recover it, score a touchdown. Um, ultimately, they get two-point conversion afterwards, but it was a pretty much a standard Tua game. Nothing special, nothing great. Nothing to make you say he could be the franchise quarterback. Whole lot of nothing. Um, and like I said, but on the Ravens side, they did nothing. Not, not a zilch. Zero. Um, Lamar did keep his streak alive of games responsible for a touchdown. That means at 45 now. Because um, he threw, threw one? I don't, remember, I don't remember how the Ravens scored the touchdown. But um, Lamar played a bad game. And this has been his fourth not great game this year really fifth of his fourth or fifth not great game this season um but something a stat came out and i'm gonna let you call this that i'm gonna let you guys hear the stat um lamar jacks the miami dolphins rather sent 24 defensive back blitzes that is the most defensive back blitzes in a single game since 2015 the Ravens scored 10 points. Shane Justin, how do, how do those why do those facts connect? Because although it wasn't the exact same strategy, remember the playoff game, Lamar Chargers playoff game? We took over Joe Flacco by halfway through the year and led him to the playoffs, etc. What did the Chargers do? The Chargers played six or seven defensive backs the entire game, regardless of the situation. Regardless of if they were up, they were down. If the Ravens went heavy, the Ravens went spread, did not matter. The Chargers pretty much primarily stayed in six or seven defensive backs all game. All game. That was the worst game of Lamar Jackson's career, that Chargers playoff game, in my opinion. Based on some numbers I've seen this morning, last night was the worst regular season game of Lamar Jackson's career. I won't dare sit here and say, that's the formula. Just play a whole bunch of defensive backs. That's how you stop him. Because he's too elite for that. His bad game was actually pretty solid. He had 200 some odd yards passing, another 40 rushing, um, pass rating of 79 or 73, uh, one touchdown, one pick, uh, 60%-ish completion percentage. Not a terrible day. But that was where they was grooving, not a terrible day. Those two games happen with primarily the same strategy. Maybe that's the way to slow them down. I won't say stop them. That's disrespectful. But maybe that's the way to slow them down. Add some speed to the field. Lighten the box a little bit. Tell your front four, look, you got to be grown men because you got to let these little guys flying behind you. Something to consider. Something to watch. See if the next team tries to employ a similar strategy. To the second big news of the day, it was second way that you started from the front or the back, the middle news, Odell Beckham has agreed to sign with the Los Angeles Rams, a uh, one-year deal up to, I believe, $6 million uh, with incentives, team-based stuff. Um, 
it was a shocker. So it was kind of weird. So uh, me and Adam Schefter tweeted out that Odell was going to the Rams. And then the Rams official. And then a few seconds later, uh, Ian Rappaport and Kim, well, Kim Jones uh, tweeted out that Odell was on the fence about Packers and Rams. Um, and then Ian Rappaport, you know, supported that and retweeted it. And so then it became kind of a who's right, who's wrong thing. Then the Rams official so, uh, official account, official website rather, said Rams acquire Odell Beckham. Then it was deleted. Um, but Von Miller posted a screenshot of a FaceTime conversation between him and Odell, uh, telling Odell to get this ring together. Um, and then Justina Anderson was reporting that no, it's still coming down between Packers and Rams. And this was right after about a couple hours of reports saying that Odell was going to take his time to decide and he might even wait till after the games on Sunday to see who shakes out where. Um, and then ultimately, uh, Josina Anderson and Kim Jones, Kim Jones stating that she got a, a text from Odell, uh, telling just saying Rams. Um, and, uh, and it was reported that it was a very hard decision for him that he waffled back and forth between the two. Um, cause both had their upside with the Rams. It's LA. I mean, that's a huge advantage for the Rams were in St. Louis. I'm pretty sure this isn't even a conversation, but the Rams are in LA. They've got a down the field offense. They got a passing offense. Matt Stafford's the best quarterback Odell would have ever played with. Not even close. Sean McVay will be the best coach he's ever had. Not even close. Um, this will be the most talented on the team he's ever played with. Not even close. Cleveland's top to bottom roster is better than LA. Um, but LA at this point has so much star power. It's just insane. This will be the most star power he's ever played with. Not even close. Um, but Green Bay has his advantages. Aaron Rodgers is a better quarterback than Matt Stafford. Aaron Rodgers is in a much better, easier division than Matt Stafford's in. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is the offensive head coach, too. And he has a monster number one on the other side, uh, Devontae Adams. Even though Cooper Cup is putting up numbers only rival to Jerry Terry, uh, Jerry Rice. rather. Um, so I can completely understand why Odell would have considered Green Bay. But L.A. made the right, LA made the right sense. It's a city that fits Odell. It is a um, offense that fits Odell. He probably goes to the outside. Cooper Cup goes to the slot, and um, Robert Woods continues to maintain his outside. And with the Rams primarily being an 11 personnel ball club, it puts Odell in a lot of situations where he might have one on one, where their defense rotates to Cooper Cup. Odell's on the backside, and he's looking like I got one on one versus this corner, and I got a quarterback who can fire me the ball. Uh, so big time move for the Rams that that allows you to sport Aaron Donald, Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, Von Miller, Jalen Ramsey, Odell Beckham Jr., um, just to name a few, Robert Woods, um, just to name a few of the stars in that LA locker room. I'm glad they're in SoFi because I'm not sure any other stadium could hold that amount of star power all at one time. It is spectacular what the Rams are doing right now. All under Sean McVay, and they're going for it. Let's need the GM, head coach Sean McVay. They are absolutely going for it because you made, when you made the move to move on from Jared Goff to go get a guy like Matt Stafford, you made that move to win the Super Bowl. You acquire Von Miller for um, a pick and some cash. A couple, a couple you know, you, you acquire Von Miller for inquiring revealing some cash for a couple of draft picks and you make all these moves you know you made Jalen Ramsey move a couple of years ago Super Bowl of bust now in LA there's too much star power on that team there's too many and you're already seven and two and you just drop a top 10 when he's healthy receiver in the league on your roster 
I mean, you gotta start winning Super Bowls here. Um, by the way, Les Snead is a cap god because he's just moving pieces left and right, creating money anywhere you gotta create it. Um, so absolutely a monster of a pick, a monster of a pickup for the Rams. And then the news to kick us off, the story I thought I was going to start my show with today, of course, after Monday, of course, after Thursday Night Football, rather, I thought I was going to start off with the fact that Superman returns. Uh, Cam Newton has returned back to the Carolina Panthers, um, and he is doing so on a pretty good deal. Um, it's one year up to $10 million. He gets four and a half million dollars guaranteed. Um, he gets a one point some odd million dollar um, roster bonus, and then it can be incentivized for winning up until um, you know if ended up with winning up to ten million dollars. Um, huge deal for a quarterback in his situation, but it shows the mistake that the Panthers made, and it's an admission of a mistake by John Tepper. Uh, according to um, many, according to a few sources, actually, that before the deal was consummated, uh, Cam talked with John Tepper, owner John Tepper. He sat down with the GM. He sat down with the vice president of football operations, um, and they cleared the air. You know, it was, it was a lot of bad blood in how it went down uh, because Cam. It was one thing for Cam to be released by the Panthers. Okay, I had a couple, a few, a few down years. I was hurt. Um, you wanted to move on, wanted to move for your future. Okay, whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm mad about it because I wanted to start and finish here. Um, it is what it is, but you know, cool. It was the fact that they didn't release him. So pretty much after the free agency window, so he didn't even have an opportunity to go explore what could have been out there opportunity wise for him. Um, he was basically forced to go to new England on a $1 million deal, a little over a million dollars. Um, then COVID hit. It was, it was a lot of stuff happening. And so Cam was on the fan of high and went down at the end. Nobody was really. They kind of waited, uh, messed them over with timing and stuff like that. But apparently once the air was clear, there's a photo with Cam and John Tepper side by side, hugging it out. Um, excited to un- un- welcome Cam back to Carolina. This morning, the roster came out. Number one, Cam Newton is back on the top of it. Um, Superman has returned to Carolina. Uh, so a year away. And a year and a half away, and he's back. So he won't start this week. Um, he probably won't even play this week. Although I've seen some report where he may end up um, having a package or something installed by week 10, um, which would be next week, and then full-blown start of week 11. So if P.J. Walker can hold the fort um, for a couple of weeks, even go one and one and have a cam return to a five and six ball club, a game out of seventh or even a game out of sixth, um, they may have a shot here and can bring in back his franchise, the Carolina Panthers, um, back to prominence and back to um, a great sign. So um, huge news. I, I thought I was starting off with that. And then the Odell bomb dropped. So the big news with Cam Newton returning back to the NFC South, returning back home. Superman returns back to Carolina. But let's jump into last week's games. Um, the Browns destroyed the Bengals. I did not see that coming. It was a week of the NFL being topsy-turvy. It, it, it's reflected in Jack's pack. We went two and three. Reflected also in the parlay I tried to pull, but whatever. Um, the Browns absolutely routed the Bengals. Embarrassingly so. 
Um, the Browns took the Bengals to task. It pretty much was over from the pick six because um, the Bengals marched all the way down the field and 100-yard pick six, and it just felt like the route was on, and it was. Uh, the crowd was going insane. Uh, Baker's one good team he plays consistently well against, and I should have I should have taken that into account when I made my parlay and my pick. Um, was the Browns? I mean, was the Bengals? Sorry, he plays really well against the Bengals consistently. Um, I don't even know what that's about, especially the Bengals being good this year. But he wrecked them again, um, and it wasn't necessarily him. He only completed 14 passes to eight different receivers. Uh, the defense was outstanding. The run game was strong. Um, you know, he, but Baker had a good game. And people, oh, you know, he doesn't need OBJ. And we tell you that OBJ ruins Baker. The numbers will reflect that that has some merit. I won't say ruin, but the offense and Baker Mayfield specifically is considerably better without Odell Beckham on the field. Analytics and the numbers have reflected that over the years. And so now that Odell Beckham has gone, we're going to see this theory. Forget Odell's hurt. He's gone. He's now a Ram. So we're going to test this theory. Um... If Baker plays really well the rest of the year, uh, they've already started to resign. They resigned both of his guards already. His left tackle's on a rookie deal. Uh, I'm not sure the situation with the center and the right tackle, but three of his linemen are locked in for the next three or four years. You've got Miles Garrett, obviously, on the contract. Jarvis Sanders got a couple years left on his contract. Chubb and Hunt are both signed for at least this year and next year. Um, so you, you're, you're going to have the decision to make, Cleveland. A big one. And I asked it last week. I said, do you feel comfortable if you're a Cleveland Browns fan um, waking up one morning and seeing that Baker Mayfield signed for five years, $200 million, and 130 of it's guaranteed? I would throw up. I would throw up. I was going to say throw up in my mouth. I would literally throw up. Because that means two of your Pro Bowl-level players are out of there. They have to be. You can't fit that under the cap. Personally, if I'm a Cleveland Browns fan, I roll out of bed and I see five years, 150 with uh with 80 million guaranteed. I'm I'm smiling from ear to ear. I'm like, you know, we got a we got an above average quarterback and an above average deal. It's a little high, but hey, do what you got to do. And and if it doesn't work, two and a half years, you can move off of it scot free. So, at this point, you know, I am trying to figure out as Cleveland, what do you do? I think Baker has a these next few games are going to be vitally important for him. If he comes out, they play New England this week, falls on his face, gets embarrassed, um, which is, has the potential to be. And you see what New England does to young quarterbacks. What does that do to the confidence side of the building? You follow that up with Odell having a great game next week for the Rams. What does that do inside the building? Um, so I'd be very interested to see what happens with that situation but the browns absolutely destroyed the Bengals. uh from the Bengals, burn the tape it was one of those games burn the tape just ignore it it didn't happen get rid of it it's even more concerning for the Bengals the fact that two weeks ago you were first place in the north and now you're last uh because you blew the game against the jets and i say okay you blew the game against the jets because you're staring at the browns and once you beat the browns you're gonna be hey, okay and then you get routed by the browns so the Bengals right now are in a fight to save their season. Um, I did not have them losing to the Browns, uh, losing to the Jets in my prediction when I had them winning 10 games. Um, so they are now at risk of going 9-8. And 9-8 and 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 might not get you in in the AFC. So they're going to have to scrap, fight, and claw uh, to pull, their, pull themselves up by their bootstraps and get back on the winning track. Speaking of pulling themselves up by their bootstrap, how about the Cowboy bootstraps? Because the Denver Broncos stomped the Cowboys. Curb stomped them. Ran amok. 
um, all over the Cowboys. At one point, the game was 30 to zero. Uh, Trayvon Diggs was victimized by a touchdown, and it seems to be the book is out on him. He's aggressive. He reminds a lot of people of Marcus Peters, myself included. He's aggressive. And what do you do with aggressive corners? You send them on double moves. You make them tackle. You make their eyes have to respect something other than a short out curl, something they can jump all over. You have to make them think that something else could be happening to them. And so that's what the Broncos did. Early first play of the game, first play of the game, they threw a double move at him early out the gate. And for the rest of the game, they could throw at him on short stuff because he was he was cautiously uh, slow in terms of making a play because he had his mind on the double move. What if it's the double move? Like, what if I finally just say, screw this, I'm going to get it. And it's a double move and I'm burned for a 60-yard touchdown. So it made his feet slow down and you're able to attack him the rest of the game. But what this also exposed was Dallas's defense isn't good. And you're probably thinking, Justin, what do you mean? They, they've, had a, they've, had a good, they've had a good year. Yeah, they've had. They've had a solid year. But they're also, they were incredibly opportunistic. Think about it. Let's just think about it. Trayvon Diggs has a PFF rating in the 60s. Uh, he had an interception a game and had a PFF rating in the 60s. Why? Because he was also getting roasted like an open fire when he wasn't carrying interceptions. Because when you play that style, when you play that aggressive style, especially in a situation where you're a man corner on an island by yourself, that aggressive ball hungry interception based style leaves you open to missing assignments and missing plays that you should make if you weren't trying to be so ball hungry um you know they were forcing turnovers like against the bucks the only time they stopped the bucks is when they turn when they when the bucks turned the ball over um the chargers they would play pretty well against chargers but they a lot of time they got blessed uh with overthrows or drops or in questionable calls so if you look at this, that Dallas defense can be had, especially if you just don't line up and try and throw simple stuff at it because they are opportunistic. They will turn the ball. They will turn you over. Um, but at the same time, they can be had, especially with the right strategy going into it. Now, one thing that is interesting about that game was the fact that the Broncos really um, controlled that game. I mean, the final score was 30 to 16, but like I said, it was 30 to zero at one point. It was not a 30 to 16 ball game. Uh, the Broncos are very physical and they are very alive in the AFC West, even after trading Von Miller. Um, anybody want to tell me what happened to the Bills? You lose nine to six to the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Jacksonville Jaguars had not won on American soil in 450 days. And the Bills said, hold my beer, bud. We got you. In honor of Veterans Day, we got you back. Um, What in the hell? Josh Allen had a great game. Great game. Josh Allen had a spectacular game. The problem for the Bills was, I'm talking about Jacksonville's Josh Allen, the defensive end or edge rusher, and not the Bills' Josh Allen, as in the franchise quarterback you just gave $240, 15-odd million dollars to. Um... Josh Allen for the Jaguars had a strip sack, had a fumble recovery, had a pick. I mean, he was having a hell of a day. Um, the Bills, Josh Allen gave up all of those and um, 
struggle to do anything. Like I said, they only scored six points. Uh, the Jaguars won the game on three field goals. The Jaguars' offense was putrid. Uh, Trevor Lawrence wasn't much better than Josh Allen, but he was a hair better. It didn't have the backbreaking turnovers, uh, miscues that the Bills had. And Urban Meyer got his first NFL win on American soil. The Jaguars got their second win. Uh, seeing Urban Meyer with that big smile on his face after the game just makes you just makes you root for him a little bit. Um, makes you root for Jacksonville a little bit. I try to keep my eye on them when they play. Um, try and put them in my Sunday ticket lineup when they definitely when they go at it. But it makes you smile just a little bit. Makes you put a little smile on your face. Um, so that is definitely something that we're going to keep our eye on. It's a Jacksonville Jaguars progression. Um, the debut we were all interested in was Jordan Love. Um, we were all uninterested in it by the second half. Um, he was overwhelmed. Um, Matt LaFleur talked about how it was on him. And I didn't think Jordan Love looked that awful. I mean, we got people saying, oh, yeah, he's been in the league. He was in the league a year and a half. He had a bad game. You seen Lamar Jackson last night? He was an MVP. He had a bad game. It happens. Um, there was a couple of moments I was like, my God, kid, hit the throw. Um, and Troy Aikman, poor Troy Aikman, almost jumped out of the booth at one point. Um, because uh, they were sending an all out blitz. Troy highlighted it for the snap. Oh, there's nobody in the middle of the field. So, this is one of those reads where you find the route going through the middle of the field and you throw it there. Especially post snap, if it confirms that's you know, there, there's nobody there. A snap comes by the time Jordan Love catches the ball, it's confirmed no one's in the middle of the field. Devon, the receivers are locked up on the outside. The uh, slot receiver makes a move on the corner, gets inside, and Jordan Love throws a jump ball to the to the outside to the right, and it was incomplete. And the hit he hit the slot in the chest, the slot probably scored a touchdown. I don't remember what the slot was. I don't know if it was Randall Cobb or not. And it just Troy was just so exacerbated. And that was probably the one major moment I was like, he's just not ready mentally. Um I mean there was a couple of throws that if it's Aaron Rodgers, not Jordan Love, it's it's a, it's probably it's possibly a big catch, maybe even a touchdown. Um, he did make the one nice throw on the touchdown pass that it wasn't the the touchdown wasn't because he threw it, uh, though he did get it there. More of a great move by Lazard, but he wasn't ready from a mental standpoint. I think physically he's capable. Physically he's capable. I just don't think he has the mental right now uh, to lead the team. He, he he wasn't picking up on. Pre-snap reads, it felt like. I don't know what kind of freedom Matt LaFleur gave him to audible in and out of stuff, to check in and out of stuff, but he, he just wasn't there. Um, from my perspective, from a mental standpoint, pre-snap, post-snap, um, to really lead the Packers into the future. So it gave a lot of more leverage to Aaron Rodgers. That's definitely for sure after that performance. Um, and even then, look at the Chiefs. Look at the Chiefs. You told me the Chiefs were back and I have yet to see the evidence because for the fourth time this year, they've been held on the 21 points. And against Jordan Love, they scored 13. If Jordan Love makes that correct slant read, it's 14-13 Packers. You lose. Actually, the Packers missed. They had a block field goal and a missed field goal. It's 13-13. You're going to overtime. And who knows if Matt LaFleur doesn't just say, screw it, let's go for two and get out of here. You might lose that game 14-13 anyway. I don't, I don't know, is, the Chiefs, you look rough, you look real rough, so if I'm the Chiefs, I count my lucky stars, I was Jordan Love and not a seasoned NFL quarterback, um, but, man, 
you've got an issue on your hands in uh, Kansas City with that offense. You got to figure something out. No Kyler, no problem for the Cards. They smack up the 49ers even without Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. They abused the 49ers physically in that game, led by Colt McCoy, James Conner, um, Chase Edmonds, and the rest of that crew getting physical and just running right through the 49ers. Again, the whole NFL was topsy-turvy. You couldn't have paid me to believe that the Arizona Cardinals minus their best two players are going to go into San Francisco and beat and handle San Francisco. Not just beat them, handle them. Although I did, although I did pick it in Jack's pack. But absolutely handle the 49ers. I mean, wow. Um... Derrick, uh, the Derrick Henry-less Tennessee Titans handled the Los Angeles Rams in SoFi Monday Night Football. That was shocking. Didn't see that one coming. And lastly, Justin Fields. Uh, he has arrived. Chicago. Here's your best quarterback since Sid Lugman. Um, you need to protect this man immediately. Get him an offensive line. Keep Allen Robinson. Do what you got to do. Um, but he went toe to toe with Big Ben. Made him great comeback. The defense also ultimately wet the bed. Um, but Justin Fields had a great comeback, and he is the future of the Chicago Bears. But up next, we will shift to NFL Week 10 and talk about what's happening this weekend. Welcome everyone back into the show. Um, in, in, on break, I just watched a video of Cam Newton uh, riding in the golf cart, sporting that big number one in those Panthers colors, and he was so excited, so happy to be back, uh, like a kid in a candy store. He was happy to be in New England because it was an opportunity for him to play, but the excitement level he had returning back to Carolina, oh wow. Uh, it, it warms your heart. It really does. Um, but jumping into NFL Week 10, Browns at Patriots is the first game we're going to talk about. Um, it is not in Jack's pack, so I'm going to pick a winner. I would do the Patriots here. I believe this point spread is two and a half in New England's favorite. Uh, in New England's favor, rather. I would pick the New England Patriots and to cover it. Um, if, if you got a money line pick, I would just go ahead and do the point spread. It's, it's easier. Um, in terms of a little bit more better odds for you um, going into that situation. But the Cleveland Browns have Baker Mayfield. He's a young quarterback. He's a quarterback that if you can snuff the run, you can confuse him on long and distance downs. I'm sure Bill Belichick and the Patriots will be looking to do that. And I'm sure that they will be looking to uh, continually throw different looks at Baker, continually uh, make Baker double guess himself, uh, double hitch himself, um, and going to try to come out there and confuse them, snuff the run. Uh, they, they're, they're dealing with a COVID situation that hasn't gotten better. As far as I know, uh, Kareem Hunt is still injured, and Nick Chubb has COVID, or he tested, he tested positive for COVID, so he's, he's vaccinated. So he just has to produce two negative tests within 24 hours or 24 hours apart from each other. So Saturday morning at 12 is the deadline for the second test because um, uh, if he won't be able to get it before the game starts. So if it's 12.01 and he tests positive, he's out um, because he won't be able to get the second test in time for kickoff. So definitely something to keep our eye on there. Like I said, right now it's holding Patriots minus two and a half. Uh, I would say I would take the Patriots there to, to win and cover. Um, but something that worries me about the 
about the Browns defense if you're rooting for the Patriots, which I am. But if you if you're a Patriots staffer, is that they have a lot of talent on that Browns defense, not necessarily at corner. But you've got uh, John Johnson at safety. You've got, obviously, Miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney at end. Uh, they have pretty eh, okay linebackers. Nobody special there at the linebacker position. But pretty okay at linebacker. Um, and that is an area where Mac Jones where has been struggling this year. And the Patriots as a whole is protecting Mac. Um, obviously, last week you had the Brian Burns incident. Um you know, Brian Burns accused Mac Jones of purpose twisting his ankle. Mac's response was, hey, man, I thought you had the ball. So my job in that moment was to keep you from running it back. I was doing what I had to do to keep you from running it back. If Mac's telling the truth, no harm, no foul. It looks bad because we can see Brian Burns clearly didn't have the ball. And Mac was pulling on his leg and stuff, trying to pull him down. But if Mac's telling the truth, which is very plausible, I mean, he got hit flush didn't see it coming next thing he knows a guy's trying to run away from him and ankles on him he just grabs he can grab and pulls and um ultimately unfortunately nicked brian burns a little bit fortunately though it was nothing serious um and he was able to ultimately be able to play this week um and burns made some comment like tell my dm brothers happy hunting i mean that's that's unnecessary and irresponsible, in my opinion. Um, but hey, he said it is what it is. But why did he, why was why was Brian Burns able to get to him? Because the Patriots tackles have been suspect this season. Um, Trent Brown is back practicing, so hopefully there's some uh, fixing there. But you know, Jadavion Clowney has the physical ability to be dominant. Miles Garrett has a QB graveyard for a reason. He's going to see why they considered as the best true DN in the league. The Patriots are going to have their hands full with that. So probably be a lot of inside runs, make those guys play the run just as much as they play the pass, play action to, again, make them play the run as much as they play the pass, and um, hope you can hold up in a true passing down, which I'm sure you will get there. But I've got the Patriots winning the game, low scoring, close, uh, 24-20. Seahawks at Packers, not in the Jacks pack because I would have no idea how to freaking bet this game. And I mean, I may, I may end up betting this Saturday night once I find out Rogers' status. Um, but Russell Wilson was able to be cleared fully uh, from his injured finger. Um, he took the pin out last week and was cleared earlier this week. Um, his doctor called him miraculous. His doctor said, "There's no way when I did the surgery, you could have told me he would have been fully healthy this soon." And I would have believed you. Um, when the injury occurred, we were we were told four to six weeks, but probably close to the sixth and the four. It was exactly four. Um, and you know, I said that I said the doctor even admitted like you could not have told me he would heal this quickly, and I would have believed you. But Russell Wilson's a fast healer. Um, like I said, up until he missed the game with this, he had never missed the NFL game, and he is ready to go. Uh, he was at practice with no limitations, so he is definitely going to play Sunday. Geno Smith was one and two in his absence. Uh, kind of kept the team afloat while he was gone. Um, probably they win the New Orleans game if he's there because Jacoby Brissett produced little to no offense. Um, so they probably win that game if Russell Wilson's there. But other than that, um, Brissett did his job of a capable backup. 
I said went one and two in his absence. Um, but it does set up a potential showdown with Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. And I say potential because, as we all know by now, medical expert slash journalist slash woke mob attacked slash Joe Rogan um, influenced slash man of the people, Aaron Rodgers, um, is... Still dealing with COVID, as far as I'm concerned, as far as I know, uh, never really felt bad, but he's still dealing with COVID, um, and he would not be eligible to return to the team until tomorrow, Saturday, which is the day before they play the game against Seattle. Now, is Aaron Rodgers mentally there enough to just say, "I feel fine, I tested negative, I can go play," um, and do that against Seattle? Probably. I mean, it's Aaron Rodgers. He probably take a few more throws. Might, might look in for a quarter. But then he'll be ready to go by the second quarter. It means Aaron Rodgers probably can. Um, but the NFL, first of all, I think the NFL absolutely wet the bed on this. A $300,000 fine for the Packers. And then you only find Adam Lazard and Aaron Rodgers $14,500. That's it. No suspension. No nothing. Aaron Rodgers blatantly looked you in the face and said, I didn't follow your rule because I didn't like it. And also, I'm pretty much not going to follow anymore. And you can hold that if you like. You can like it. You can love it. I don't know. But I did my own thing. Even though you told me my own thing, it didn't, wasn't going to work. It wasn't going to qualify. I did my own thing anyway. And I didn't follow your interview rules. I didn't like the run. I didn't understand it. I didn't like it. So I didn't do it. And you find him the price it takes to get him out of bed in the morning. That's it. $14,500. He probably spent that on dinner that night. <sighs> you what the bet on this one, NFL. Uh, CeeDee Lamb got fined 20 grand for having his shirt untucked, but blatantly ignoring COVID rules for an unvaccinated player in the middle of a pandemic was fined $14,500. That makes sense. Um, but Rodgers could just show up on Saturday and play. Had Jordan Love played well against Kansas City and they won, I think they would have told Rodgers to wait another week. We'll see here practice on Monday. But and they still may do that. But it raises the question that he may or may not play because Jordan Love didn't play well. And Rogers from all accounts are just not feeling bad at all. That he just has positive COVID. He has a little bit of something, but nothing major. Um and he is ready to go. He could be ready to go potentially for a showdown against Seahawks if necessary. I just don't see any player being able to just show up the day before. And play. I mean, it's just that's the weird situation, especially after what happened. If I'm the Packers, I let it live another week, see him on Monday, uh, get Jordan Love prepared to play the Seahawks. I, it just doesn't make sense to me. Because what if he tests positive Saturday morning and you mentally prep for Aaron Rodgers and now, oh, bleep, we got to go Jordan Love again. And this time we don't have, we have less of a game plan because we thought we were going to get Rodgers back. So if I'm, if I'm the Packers, I just. I just shut Aaron down another week. You know, it's, it's not a stress. You play the Seahawks. You got a three and a half. You got a pretty decent cushion in the, in the north. You know, you play the Seahawks, you lose it. Okay. And then you just bring Aaron Rodgers back, push down for the home stretch. But it, it was, it's, like I said, it's a rough situation all the way around. But I'm excited to see Russell Wilson back. Apparently, he's throwing the ball well. He said he's got full limitations. Uh, no limitations, rather. Um at practice with the Seahawks. I want to see Rodgers Wilson. I won't be dis I won't I will be disappointed if it's Rodgers Love. Uh, but hopefully we get Rodgers Wilson. 
the Seattle's, sorry, my, excuse me, the New Orleans Saints, oh, the Seattle Saints, the New Orleans Saints are going to Tennessee to play the Derrick henry list of Tennessee Titans. Now, for the Titans, this was not a problem last week. I got, I got spoke about earlier. They curb stomp, put stomped the mud hole in the um, Los Angeles Rams in SoFi without Henry. Uh, but now the teams, the Saints has specifically, with Dennis Allen leading that defense uh, as a DC, DeMario Davis, Cam Jordan, Marshawn Lattimore, uh, CJ Gardner-Johnson, the rest of the crew, got a chance to see that offense, what it would look like with Adrian Peterson instead of Derrick Henry. Um, got the opportunity to see what it would look like in terms of the passing concepts, etc. Um, and so now you get a Saints defense, a really good Saints defense, coming into your building, pissed off they lost to Atlanta, their division rival. Um, pissed off at the fact that, you know, they lost to Atlanta, a division rival, and they gave the game up at the end. And so I think that defense is going to be able to play really, really well. Um, I don't have this game in Jack's pack, so I will pick it. I've got the Saints by about three. Something like 24-21 um, will probably be my prediction there. I'm not sure who's the favorite. I'm pretty sure Tennessee probably is. They're close. Tennessee plus three because of home. So I probably say Tennessee's probably a three-point favorite. I would probably take the Saints. I'm taking the Saints anyway because they're probably the underdog, uh, especially on the money line. That's a good pick. But Tennessee has a, a defense, though. Tennessee has a defense that will turn you over. I don't think it's that good. Uh, in terms of just every single snap lining up playing ball, I don't think it's that good. However, I do think that they have the ability to um, really play well when it comes down to turning the ball over. If you look at a couple weeks ago against the Colts, they had two big picks on Carson Wentz, turned that game, won that game, really. Um, you look at the game last week, where they do Matt Stafford, pretty much the same situation, got a pick six out of him, and the, and the route was on. So... That Tennessee defense is not necessarily an every-down great defense, but it is a very opportunistic defense and a very timely defense, which to me is the show of any unit, is that you can do what you have to do when you need to do it. As opposed to the, as, or the, other, on the other side, that is a very every-down defense. Every down, that defense is coming for your neck. Um, and they have a very disciplined defense. Like I said, Demario Davis, Cameron Jordan, listed a few of the names, Marshawn Lattimore, um, that defense is very, very talented, very, very scrappy, very, very tough. And so when you have a defense like that, Trevor Simmons on the other side playing quarterback, not sure who's going to start this week. It has not been announced but as far as I know, uh, if it's going to be Trevor Simeon, Ian Book, or Taysom Hill. Um, but it's going to be definitely something to keep our eye on at that game. Alvin Kamara will be there, obviously. Uh, Marquez Callaway will be there, obviously. Um, and they're going to have to try and figure out how to scrap yards and touchdowns together. Um, I, I think they can do it. It'll be, to me, an avoidance of the big turnover. Uh, Trevor Simeon cannot have the big mistake where you're down three. It's a pick six. Now you're down ten. And it's early fourth quarter. You know, Taysom Hill is going to have to avoid the fumble. You know, where you may be up three. You fumble it close to the goal line. Now you're down four. With five minutes left, you know, and it's just way it's like that. They're going to have to avoid the big, crucial backbreaking turnover because their margin for error on offense is very limited without having um, a lot of their weapons there. Vikings at Chargers is a very interesting game. Another game not in Jack's pack. We're going to pick a winner here. Uh, the Minnesota Vikings is a good ball club. The Minnesota Vikings are a very good team. The Minnesota Vikings are five plays from three more wins 
They absolutely blew a game against Arizona, missing the field goal. They could not get any offense in overtime against the Bengals, and they let the and they let the Ravens come back from double digits last week to beat them in overtime. The Vikings could be nipping at the Packers' heels in terms of the division. They should be a six and three-ish kind of team. Instead, they're a three and five-ish kind of team. Um, or something along those lines that they have three wins, they should have six. I mean, you know, so the Minnesota Vikings are a good ball club. It's, it's a situation where if you are a team like the Chargers, you have to keep your eye out. Now, the Chargers just went to war against the Philadelphia Eagles and Jalen Hurts in Philly. Uh, but they came out and they won that game, which was huge for the confidence of the team because uh, they were a gutsy team that fed on the confidence of their head coach, Brandon Staley, and his confidence in quarterback Justin Herbert. They've been faltering the past couple of weeks, but this last week they came out against a very game Eagles team and won. And so that puts you in a position where now you are still in the playoffs currently. I believe they're a six seed currently. Um, and you are going to host a very game Minnesota team. Uh, it's Kirk Cousins. I, I do not believe this game was prime time, so he'll be able to hide in the one o'clock window and play well. Um, as for the Chargers, it's a it's a it's a West Coast game, so the Vikings are gonna have to adjust to the time and things of that nature. Um, it's gonna have to adjust to playing a game with their body just saying one o'clock. It's gonna be a little weird for them, but they're gonna have to adjust to that. Um, I've got the Chargers in this game by about four. I would guess something on the lines of 21-17 or 28-24. 28-24 feels a little bit better because uh, I don't see the Vikings being held to 17 points. Even though Dalvin Cook has some off-the-field personal issues going on right now, I just think the Vikings are too good offensively, a little too potent to uh, do a little to do that little. Uh, so 28-24 feels like the right score for the Chargers game. Uh, I don't know what the betting line is for this one. Um, but I would take the charge on the money line for sure. I'm not sure what the number is in terms of the point spread. And then lastly, for de facto first place of the AFC West, Chiefs at Raiders, a game nine jacks pack. But we're going to pick a winner here. Uh, I'm going to pick the Raiders here to win this game 24-20. Uh, um, the Chiefs offense, something is wrong with it. I'm not sure what it is. And it seems like whenever the Raiders get rid of a bad apple, they play better. Uh, they got rid of John Rudin, played better. Henry Rooks had his unfortunate incident, played better. They just released Damon Arnett after he was on social media flashing guns and making threats. Uh, let's see if they play even better without him. It seems to be the trend in Vegas. And then it's, it's a Vegas home game. It's the biggest game for the Raiders organization, in my opinion, in Vegas. And so I expect the crowd to be out in full throat, ready to go. Um, Pat Mahomes is okay with that. He's used to that. He's used to hearing loud crowds thanks to Arrowhead. But we are going to definitely keep an eye on that game. Um, the Chiefs defense may have been playing well the past couple of weeks, but they've played Jordan Love and I forgot how they played before, Daniel Jones. Neither one of those guys are on Derek Carr's level. Put them together right now. They don't equal Derek Carr. So um, I expect that offense with Deshaun Jackson, the addition of Deshaun Jackson with uh, Darren Waller with a Hunter Renfro with a Josh Jacobs uh, to really come out and stress and stretch that Kansas City defense um, and and you and conversely utilize a too high safety to slow down Tyreek Hill. Um, a little bit of breaking news: uh, Bruce Arians has ruled out Antonio Brown and Rob Gronkowski uh, for the game against the Washington Football Team 
Chris Godwin will be a game time decision. Um, so that is a little bit of Bucks injury news uh, there. So no real big news anywhere um, to be talked about. But um, back to the Chiefs and Raiders. The Chiefs have the ability to stretch the field, but on the Raiders, I go too high and make Patrick Mahomes work down the field again. But like I said, I have the Raiders um, by about four. So if the Raiders are favored by anything more than four, uh, don't touch it. If they are favored by more than four, jump all over it. I've got the Raiders winning the game. But up next, we're going to talk about our NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack. Welcome, welcome, welcome back into the show. And now we are going to jump into our still successful NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack. Now, I know I mentioned it a couple of times today, but the NFL flipped on its head. Um, no one saw any of what happened this week coming. Um, and the NFL literally flipped completely on its head. A lot of upsets. I saw a stat where if you would have picked the five upset winners on a $100 parlay just to money line, you would have made something like $153,000 or something like that. It was ridiculous. Um, it was one of those I just sat back and chuckled. Um, it was just, I just laughed. I knew my parlay was over um, by about, let's see, the game started at 12. I'll get them in Baton Rouge Central Time. Game started about 12. By about 12.30, I was saying, yep. My parlay is done. I thought I'm gonna go 0 for five, and then, um, but the Patriots did what they had to do against Carolina, and then Lamar came back against the um, against the Viking because I money lined uh, Lamar and point spread at the Patriots. So, but hey, we had a two and three week last week against the spread um, that brought me to 24 and 21, which is 53%. So I'm a little bit off our target goal of 57, 58 which is where professional gamblers like to exist. They like to hang out there uh, 57 or 58%. Uh, but, hey, I'm not deterred. We were doing a lot better than we were last year. A lot of guys I'm hearing are still under 50%. Uh, a couple big names are under 40%. So, hey, I'm feeling pretty good. We're going to dive right into these numbers. My favorite number of the week, Rams at Niners. Niners plus four and a half. Take the Rams. Um, good team gets embarrassed national television. They're going to come back out firing. The 49ers are clearly not a good football team. They just got handled by the Arizona Cardinals without Kyler, without D-Hop. Um, so I'm going to take the Rams here, minus four and a half. All odds are prevented by Barstool Sportsbooks. Um, yeah, I know a few, I've been doing ESPN and Caesars, but I'm going to do Barstool now. The reason I'm going to Barstool is because... Um, the local places here in Baton Rouge, uh, specifically LaBerge, do Barstool. So I'm going to do Barstool the way the bets transfer a little easier. I have a number that I know I'm going to go see later. Because the numbers are not usually off by a lot, but they were a couple of the numbers were off. Like, for instance, I had Cowboys 9.5 because of Caesars, and I got to the casino, it was Cowboys minus 10. Um, so, but we're going to stick to Barstool because I know that's the local one out here. Um, I may go back to Caesars, uh, but I will definitely always announce to you guys which sports book I'm going to use that week um, before I say any numbers. Um, so this week it is Barstool. So the first number again is Rams minus four and a half over the Niners. Take the Rams. 
Um, in our next game, and I actually gave my pick earlier, and I, I didn't check to make sure I wasn't in Jack's pack. I thought I wasn't, but hey, it is what it is. Um, and my notes right on each other. I don't know how I missed it, but hey, my next number is Chiefs, a minus two and a half at Raiders. I, the Chiefs are favoring this game. Take the Raiders. I think the Raiders gonna Raiders gonna win straight out. So if you're into a little bit more of a risk, take the Raiders on the money line. I think they're gonna win the game flat out. So uh, just a little gambling trick for me. If you are picking an underdog to win, like so, if you see a number, you're like, man, I think they're gonna flat out win the game. If you get a little better odds money lining an underdog than you would point spreading an underdog. Um, there's a little trick for me, but I would take the Raiders here on the money line. Definitely plus two and a half. If you're in the point spreads, take the Raiders plus two and a half over the Chiefs. Uh, something's wrong with that Chiefs offense. I think the Raiders are going to score more than seven points against that defense. And so that being the case, I am going to take the Raiders here. Bills at Jets plus 12 and a half for the Jets. Take the Bills. Um, they were embarrassed at Jacksonville. Flat out embarrassed. Um, really embarrassed at Jacksonville. And because of that, I believe they're going to come out and just absolutely punish the Jets. I feel bad for Mike White and the rest of that crew. I like Mike White. But they're going to flat out and get embarrassed by the Bills here. I picked the Bills last week on a big number, minus, 12 and a, minus 14 and a half for the Jags. I'm going to pick them again, uh, minus 12 and a half. I believe they're going to cover here easily. Um, they're going to beat down the uh, Jets. I don't have much analysis for that. They're just going to pound the Jets. Um, Steelers minus eight over the Lions. Take the Steelers. Now, this is the game. I didn't love the number. Eight was a tricky number because that Steelers team kind of backdoor won last week. Now they're going to play a Lions team that's still scrapping, still fighting for Dan Campbell. Um, I don't know. Now, I, I don't believe the uh, Lions offense will score a ton. But at the same time, I don't believe that the Steelers offense will score a ton either. So this is one of those games where if you do, if you're in the money line or point spreading, money lining is way safer here. Uh, Jared Goff has yet to win a game, not being coached by John, Sean McVay in the NFL. Um, and so if I, I I'm going to pick the Steelers here minus eight. I don't love the number, but I'm going to pick the Steelers here minus eight money lining if you have the opportunity. But definitely Steelers minus eight is the side if you had to bet the point spread. And then Tampa minus nine over the Washington football team. Take the Bucks. Now they're still missing Antonio Brown and Rob Gronkowski. That was announced just a few um, minutes ago by uh, Bruce Arians. But it's the Washington football team. They don't have much of an offense. The Bucks defense is going to be probably pissed because they had to stew on Trevor Simeon, dicing them up for a couple of weeks. Um, I'm going to take off a bye. Bruce Arians is a good coach. You know my rule. Good coach off a bye. Don't lose. Um, so I'm going to go Tampa Bay here, minus nine. I actually like this number a lot more than a couple of other numbers I said before it. Because um, I didn't see this number at first, so that's why it's a little lower. But I got Tampa minus nine here. That is the side for this bet. I got strong faith in that one. Um, Rams minus four and a half over the Niners. Raiders plus two and a half over the Chiefs. Bills minus 12 and a half over the Jets. Steelers minus eight over the Lions. Tampa minus nine over the Washington football team. Now, up next, we're going to talk about the NBA and what's happening there.
Welcome into the show, back into the show, and now we are going to talk about the NBA and what's happening there. Of course, the big news every week seems to be the newest development in the Ben Simmons saga. Um, this week, it involved mental health again. Um, they're focusing on that. Uh, ben Simmons and his agent, Rich Paul, have... Rich Paul, they basically said that what Philly's doing isn't helping. That it actually could be exacerbating the situation because now Ben doesn't feel supported by the organization. That instead of supporting him, they've decided to find him and suspend him and force him, try to force him back on the court, which in turn may be in negatively impacting his mental health, causing the delay in his return to the court uh, to further and to increase. So. The Sixers simply want, from what I've been told, from what I've read, that they want to be involved in Ben's recovery. That they don't want Ben off by himself trying to do this. That they want names of doctors he's visited. That they want him to meet with their physical, uh, their mental health people in order to see if he's fit to play. You know, that sort of thing. Um, They want to be involved. But it's also a case of calling his bluff because Ben Simmons knows um, as all of us have known that over the past 10, 15 years, especially the last five years, mental health has become a huge thing in sports. Uh, from your Kevin Loves talked about his uh, situation issues with depression and mental health issues. DeMar DeRozan has talked about it. Simone Biles in the last Olympics famously pulled out of pretty much all the events. I mean, she ended up doing individual. She ended up doing a couple of individual events, but it was not her full routines because she had a case of the twisties and she was going through some mental health issues herself. Um, and so that's been a thing where it's almost, you can't eat. I mean, it's not almost, you cannot speak out against constant mental health. You know, if somebody has a sprained ankle or somebody has a sprained wrist or something, we as a society have gotten accustomed to calling them soft for not playing, playing through it. Um, and now with mental health, that's an area where, you know, that's not something you approach. That's not something you broach. It's not, it's not words you say, you know, Oh, Kevin Love, dealing with depression, soft, play more, you know, like, or Simone Biles with the case of the twisties, are you just scared and it's all in your head, just say you can do it and go do it, you know, that's not something that you do anymore, um, and so, with that being said, if, if, if he is faking it, it's gonna be a slap in the face and the disrespect to the last, so as like I said, concentrate on the last five years, what guys like Kevin Love, what people like, uh, Simone Biles have been open about they're going through in professional sports, DeMar DeRozan as well. Um, if Ben Simmons is not telling the truth, then it just it spits in the face of those people who are really went through stuff and um, were brave enough to share their stories and the start movements and uh, situations where guys and ladies in similar situations have the ability to reach out to someone uh, because you're going through that too. But if the Sixers, if Ben Simmons is telling the truth and the Sixers have done all of this, then they're going to look like very insensitive people. Um, You can't cancel an organization, obviously, but they're going to look like very insensitive people. And I'm sure they're going to have to commit to a lot of uh, services and stuff like that around the Philadelphia area in regards to mental health because it is a very serious issue. And if Ben really is going through what he said he's going through and the Sixers are effectively calling his bluff. Um, wait, a little bit of breaking news. Portland Trails Blazers president Chris McGowan has resigned. So Portland opened up um, 
an investigation into what goes on uh, in the organization in terms of treatment and things of that nature um, against the general manager, the owner did. Well, now the president has just resigned. Um, so maybe something is coming down the pipeline for further people inside the Portland organization. Uh, we're going to keep our eye on that and update you guys as more updates come along. But back to the 76ers of Ben Simmons, it's a situation where if Ben's telling the truth, someone's going to have to pay for that. Whether that's Elton Brand, whether that's Daryl Morey, someone's going to have to pay for that. Um, if Ben's telling the truth and the Sixers are truly being this insensitive about the situation. Um, the Lakers are heating up a little, a little, not a lot, a little. Um, Russell Westbrook with his second straight triple-double. They also had their second straight Lakers win. Um... As much as we benign uh, and, and, and belittle Russell Westbrook in terms of sometimes he has a turnover issue and things like that, he has a sterling record in games he has triple-doubles in. It's it's above 60%. When he has triple-double, his teams win. And he's got two Lakers wins in a row to go with two Lakers, uh, two triple-doubles in a row. Carmelo Anthony is still shooting the lights out. Now they're getting contributions from a Wayne Ellington, from a Malik Monk. Um... You've got Anthony Davis still being Anthony Davis. LeBron should be back any day now due to his abdominal strain. So definitely something that we are getting a chance to watch. Is he lost Angeles Lakers starting to round in the form a little bit? We said it, man. Russell Westbrook had a rough first couple months with Houston. Had a rough first couple months with Washington Wizards. And then he became an all-star level player towards the end. LeBron James, the last time he put together a true big three was the Heat. They were nine and eight in their first seventeen games. This team is seven and five, so it happens. Um, it, it definitely happens um, with LeBron and Russell Westbrook-led teams. Now you get them together, so it's, it's, yeah, it's gonna take an adjustment period for this organization to figure it out. But they are currently heating up. Speaking of heating up, the Warriors are hot, hot, hot. They're nine and one. Uh, to start the season, they're first or second in pretty much every positive category you want to be in. Um, they've got youth bouncing all over the place. Gary Payton, the second, is flying everywhere. Uh, Jordan Poole is stepping up. Andrew Wiggins has some huge dunks, including a monster poster on Carl Anthony Towns. Um, Steph is Steph. Draymond Green, they're even surviving without Draymond Green. He's usually their point man in their offense. They're surviving without him. And now you even have Clay and Wiseman back healthy. The Warriors are going to be a problem. I don't see them as a championship team right now. I think a healthy Lakers team beats them. Just more, just too much thought power on the Lakers side. But the Warriors are going to be an issue come playoff time. Uh, they're a very dangerous basketball team. They are playing out of their minds right now. I believe they'll come back down to earth eventually. But right now, they're playing out of their minds right now. Um, speaking of a team playing out of their minds right now, the Chicago Bulls are playing great basketball. Alonzo Ball is shooting something like 45% from the three-point line, uh, making 80-some-odd percent of his free throws, which is his huge complaint uh, coming out of school, was that he wasn't making free throws. He was shooting in like the 40s or the 50s his rookie year. It was horrible from the free throw line. And now he's shooting in the mid-80s. He's shooting in the mid-40s from the three-point line. It was going to be huge to keep the uh, spacing correct for the Chicago Bulls with a guy like DeMar DeRozan, who's not going to shoot the three. Uh, Zach Levine's a shooter, but he's not gonna. He's not, you know, he's not a marksman. He's not a Clay Thompson level marksman. So you're gonna need a guy like Alonzo Ball making above 40% of his threes, along with his free throws, to make him a truly three level dangerous scorer. Because now he can get to the rim. You follow. He's making his free throws. Uh, you back up. He nails the three. 
you know, you let him get by. He's got a pretty decent in-between game. And so uh, Lonzo Ball's rounding into form. Um, and so that would be something that we're going to keep our eye on there. But the Chicago Bulls, they're very interesting. Uh, their fan base is incredibly excited. Uh, they're doing things as a team that hasn't been done since Michael and Scotty. Um, and so they are incredibly excited for the Chicago Bulls fan base. Um, it's one of those things where it's good to see. You know, they're a franchise where in recent memory, the NBA is better when they're good. The NBA is more exciting when they're good. So to pull in those Bulls fans back into the mainstream, uh, I talked to a couple of them. They're talking potential championship level team because anything can happen in the playoffs that we've seen last year. And so, of course, they are um, very excited to have a chance at winning um, at big time winning in Chi Town. So we're definitely going to keep our eye on that, especially considering uh, the Chicago Sky just won. So winning basketball is in the air in Chicago. The Washington Wizards are playing really well. I believe there's something like seven and four right now. Uh, this would be an ideal situation for Bradley Beal. He's the clear number one. There's nobody next to him. Um, you know, he had John Wall. Then he got Russell Westbrook. But now it's 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 him and a bunch of good players. Montrez Harrell um, is playing well. Uh, you got Kyle Kuzma is playing pretty well as well. Uh, Bradley Bill is doing what Bradley Bill does. You've got the rest of that crew um, being spectacular right now around Bradley Bill, giving him what he needs. Um, and the pieces are fitting closely. And so maybe Bradley Bill did see this reason he didn't want to leave. Um, it kind of may be a Zach Levine situation where I kind of want to wait and see how this is going to go before I just say, all right, screw this, I'm out. Um, but that's where he's at right now. They're playing well. I believe that's something, like I said, 7-4. and four. Uh, They're playing really good basketball. Bradley Bill is leading that team. And so kudos to the Washington Wizards for figuring it out, scrambling to get a solid team put together around Bradley Bill. But speaking of a team that's not putting anything together, my New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, There's Discord, author of the organization. Zion Williamson is another week, week and a half-ish away from uh, getting reevaluated. Brandon Ingram's missed the last six games with injury. Uh, our defensive rookie and Herb Jones, he's he's been out recently. Um, but the Discord, the latest aspect of Discord is that the Pelicans play the Kings. The Kings' uh, lead assistant coach is Alvin Gentry. He was the head coach for the Pelicans when David Griffin arrived, and David Griffin unceremoniously fired Alvin Gentry. Um, and then something along the lines of like, he didn't give him the keys to success. Some snarky comment that was made towards Gentry in regards to basically, I could have saved you, but I didn't want to save you. And so you're going to be out the door. And apparently David Griffin and Gentry got into a very, very loud and intense argument. And, um, right, you know, within earshot of other people, they had to be physically separated a lot of people are saying that the pressure and the uh, discord in the organization is weighing on Griffin. Um, in Cleveland, he had it kind of easy. He had it really easy, actually. When he got there, Cleveland doesn't have winners ever in basketball. Um, he had a number one pick in Kyrie Irving. He had a Tristan Thompson. He wouldn't got himself a European coach and David Blatt. They were supposed to grow together, take their time, two to three, four years, let Kyrie come into his own. 
And then they were going to start making runs these. And then LeBron announced I'm coming back. But you already had the David Blatt situation. And now you get LeBron. Okay, so we're going to scrap this whole youth thing. And we're going to build, in the words of David Griffin, unsustainably. But we're going to build for titles immediately because who knows how long LeBron's going to be here. So we, they did a very unsustainable approach, which it ultimately ended up being, which was we're going to trade Andrew Wiggins some youth for Kevin Love, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it resulted in two, it resulted in the NBA championship, uh, finals appearances in a row, you know, three or four final appearances in a row, um, and the greatest four, three, four year stretch in the history of Cleveland Cavaliers basketball. And LeBron left. Griffin's contract was not renewed. He was out of work until the Pelicans came calling. I mean, he had a couple ESPN spots. He was out of work until the Pelicans came calling. Now, here's a situation where New Orleans, okay, you drafted Zion Williamson. I don't think he's played 100 games yet, and this is his third season. He had Gentry for one. Yeah, it's his third season. I don't think he's played 100 games yet. Um, you butchered the Lonzo Ball situation. I mean, you could have got something better back than Sadoransky and Gary Temple. That's my opinion. But you, you basically butchered the Lonzo Ball situation. Um, you signed Stephen Adams to a contract. Goblin had to dump. You gave Eric Bledsoe a spot. You had to dump. And he's having he's having a lot of situations. You're on your third coach. You fired Gentry. You hired Stan Van Gundy. You fired Stan Van Gundy. You hired Willie Green. And now the team, I believe, the team has the worst record in basketball. They're one in twelve. And I and I and I see that injuries. And he's injuries. You hadn't had Brandon Ingram for half the season. You never had uh, Zion Williamson this season. Um, so I, I blame injuries, but it's a situation where the hot seat is burning under Griffin at this point. I don't see how he makes it to all-star break as the president of the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, and I wonder who's going to accept that job because your first job is going to be, okay, I think we have the right coach. I'm pretty sure of it. We have the right coach in Willie Green. But how do we keep Zion? And I mean, that's going to be your thing. How do we keep Zion? And how, and how do we make him healthy? I mean, there's reports now he's over through clear through clear over 300 pounds, and it's like if he's that heavy, it's gonna take him a couple weeks past him being cleared to get back in basketball shape where he can play 27, 28 minutes upon his return. Um, it's gonna be a challenge in New Orleans. Now, Miss Benson has already laid out the plan for her secession. She wants both teams to stay in New Orleans, Saints and Pelicans. One's easier than the other. But she's tying their fates together. So you cannot move the Pelicans unless you move the Saints as well, which will probably keep the Pelicans in New Orleans for perpetuity. Um, at least with the first ownership change. I, I don't know a situation where the New Orleans Pelicans are fixed within a year. Because in theory, you get you get Zion and Ingram back on the court full-fledged by December 1st. Let's just say. December 12th, get them on the court by December 1st. You might be 1 in 20. So you have to go something like 40 and 20 the rest of the way to get the 10 seed. And that's a lot to ask. Um, because you probably want to use these first this first month or so to get the chemistry right. You got Jonas Valanciunas seems to be balling, but his role is going to change when Zion and B.I. come back. So it's going to be very interesting to keep our eye on in New Orleans um, with the Pelicans organization. And some fights have been breaking out. Jokic and the Jokic brothers versus the Morris twin uh, and the Heat. That was entertaining. Miles Turner and Rudy Gobert went at it last night. So the bigs are fighting back. We, we've been in this era where we've been calling soft bigs for years. And we've had two altercations, which the average height was about 6'9", 6'10". You got uh, 6'11 uh, Rudy, 6'11 Nikola Jokic, 
uh, seven feet or six ten Miles Turner, uh, seven feet seven one Rudy Gobert, and like six eight Morris Twin. So it's been very entertaining watching some of the physicality come back to the game and leading to some fights. Um, we like that in the NBA just a little bit. Keeps the game exciting, keeps the game fun. But up next, we're going to shift to college basketball being back. We're going to touch on that being back. Welcome back into the show, and we have a very uh, entertaining college basketball season ahead of us. Uh, It's headlined, obviously, by Coach K's last ride. Um, This is his last season. The price to get into Cameron Indoor for his last home game, I believe, is $6,400 or $2,400 or $6,400 on average to get into the building to see his last game. Um, it's the highest they have the highest average price ticket in college basketball right now um it's gonna be spectacular to watch duke this year i'm sure every time he stops in the building last especially for the conference rivals are gonna give him something um similar to when um kobe did his last his retirement tour around the nba every every arena he stopped in if it was the last time he was gonna be there um they gave him a gift so I'm sure Coach K will get something similar to that. Where every arena he stops in, they're going to get standing ovation. They're going to give him a gift. Um, thank him for being there. He's the all-time winningest college coach ever. He has the most Olympic gold medals as a as an Olympic coach. He's the only fir- first and only coach to lead an Olympic basketball team to three straight gold medals. He did it from 04, 08, and 2012. Uh, or 08, 2012, and 2016, my apologies. Um... And so uh, he passed Pat Summit a couple years ago for the most wins, men and women, in college basketball. Um, one of the two or three coaches ever to have a thousand wins. He, it, you know, his resume is impeccable. So I'm sure they're gonna honor him in every arena he steps in. Uh, that I mean, the game, his last game in um, Cameron Indoor may start 30 minutes late. I mean. I mean, it, it may end 30 minutes. It may start 30 minutes late with all the pregame, I'm sure, ceremony and hoopla that Duke's going to do for Mike Krzyzewski. Um Duke's a national name in sport because of Coach K. Period. Because um, their football program is meh. But I don't even, I mean, they know no other program sports that blue Duke level the way the Duke basketball program does. Um, and so he is Duke. Uh, especially athletically. So we're going to definitely uh, keep our eye on Coach K's last ride. But some freshmen arrived, including one of Coach K's team, uh, Paolo. I can't think of the kid's last name right now. He had a great debut. Imani Bates over at Michigan, uh, Memphis rather, had a great debut. Supposed to be Michigan State, but he went into going to Memphis with uh, Coach Penny, Penny Hardaway. Um, and a very interesting court Memphis has. Uh, looks kind of like a my career court in 2K with the color uh, court. It's not, you know, the traditional hardwood color. It's like grayish blue. It's very it's very inter- entertaining to watch. It look, almost looks fake. It's hardwood, obviously, but it almost looks fake because it doesn't have the traditional hardwood color. Uh, but Imani Bates arrived at Memphis. Uh, Chet Holmgren, the university number one recruit and projected number one draft pick right now, had a big arrival at Gonzaga, 14-13 with like six or seven blocks, something like that. 
So he had a huge arrival at Gonzaga. Um, some big monster performances. LSU had a great debut versus ULM. Total team effort there, including Darius Days going eight for nine from three. And at one point having 30 late in the mid second half to ULM only having 28 as a team. Um, so some early big performances. Monster buzzer beaters are happening. Uh, we had a step back 35 foot buzzer beater contested at Wichita State, Wichita to win. And then I seen a clip of, of a small school, Riverside, um, playing, I want to say Arizona State, and nailing this 60 foot um, buzzer beating three down. They were down to nail some 60 foot buzzer beater three, nothing but net swished it to win the game. Um, so college basketball has already been insane. Can't wait to watch this season. Very excited for that. But up next, we're going to have our best for lads, which is going to be a look at college football and what's going down there. Alrighty guys and welcome back into the show into best for last and now we're going to talk about the college football playoff obviously the next rankings um is out so we got georgia one alabama two surviving against lsu uh, oregon three ohio state four cincinnati five michigan six michigan state who beat michigan seven Oklahoma nine, Oklahoma eight, Notre Dame nine, undefeated Oklahoma rather eight, uh, Notre Dame nine, Oklahoma State ten, Texas A&M eleven, Wake Forest is twelve, um, and I went down to twelve because the big news isn't the rankings. Even though I disagree with, I don't know how Michigan's above Michigan State when Michigan State beat Michigan head to head on the field. I don't even know how this is a debate, um, but hey, whatever committee. Um, and Cincinnati still on the outside looking in. They are probably the biggest Georgia fans on the planet because if Georgia can beat Alabama, that takes away, that knocks them out and gives them a hell of a shot. Um, and then they're rooting, I don't I mean, they're rooting for somebody to knock off Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game to ensure they get one of the four spots. But the reason I'm bringing this up in best for last is because remember I spoke about before the season started that the committee were kicking around an eight-team idea. And I said, I loved it. I said, you just play the highest the highest seed, host the first round, and then you go into the bowl system, the traditional New Year's Day bowl system like they're doing this year, and then the championship game on Monday night to close the season. Um, well, apparently that's been scrapped. And instead, the big proposal that's on the table is a 12-team playoff, which is why I listed all the way down to 12. It will be a 12-team playoff where the first four seeds get a bye, so the top four, the big four that we worry about now to make to make the playoffs, we get a bye. And then um, 5v12, 6v11, 7v10, 8v9 would play, right? Those teams would play. And then I think it gets reseeded. And then you match up from there. Um, and I, I think the first two rounds would be higher seed hosts. And then you would go into the bowl system for the final four. Or the the semifinal in the championship game would go back into the traditional system. In that proposal, all five power five all five power five champions would get an automatic bid. So as is projected right now, that would be Georgia, Oregon, Ohio State, Oklahoma, 
and Wake Forest would be the five teams um, that would, be, if you just looked at the rankings, would be the five projected Power Five champions. And then you would get the highest ranked group of five champion. That would be Cincinnati right now. So Cincinnati would get in. They wouldn't even be worried about making the playoff. They'd be worried about getting that top four to get the bye. But Cincinnati would be in and they'd be hosting the second round. Um, versus, I mean, or if, not, if they don't host right now, they would host Wake Forest in Cincinnati in the first round of the playoff. Um, and then the remaining six spots would be at large bids. That would be your Alabama. That would be your uh, Michigan, your Michigan State. That would be your Notre Dame, your Oklahoma State, and your Texas A&M. So all 12 of the teams I listed earlier would all make it in various seeds. And then the trick would be, though, you would get reseeded. So let's say, remember a couple years ago, it was in the COVID season, actually. USC was undefeated. They were like 7-0, a top 10 team in the country. When? They were going to the Rose Bowl guaranteed, and they had an outside, outside shot at the playoff, but they were definitely going to the Rose Bowl. Oregon was like four and three or something like that. No chance at a playoff, but they could get to the Rose Bowl, obviously, by beating USC. Oregon beat USC. Under the 12-team proposal, USC, I think, fell to like something like 12. So they would may get it at large bid, but Oregon would automatically qualify to get in as the Pac-12 champion. So it makes a situation where, yeah, like this year, the East and the West for the SEC is 9-0 and 8-1. and They're going to get there pretty much probably like that, one loss and zero losses. But there have been a couple of years in a couple conference championship games where I used to say, I used to joke like, man, it would if I'm the ACC commissioner, or if I'm the Pac-12 commissioner, maybe I tell the team in no uncertain terms that has no shot at the playoff to take a dive. Take a dive. Let the team who can make the playoff because the money comes back to the conference. In this situation, in that scenario, go for it because you might end up getting two teams in. If you got the number one team or you got like a Clemson who was like, like number one in the country playing an eight and four team. And when that eight, four team beats Clemson, Clemson's not going to fall out of 12 and lose the at-large bid. They're going to fall to 8 or 9, be an at-large bid on the road first round of the playoffs. But that team, that conference champion, also gets in. They're probably also on the road in the first round of the playoffs, but you have two AC teams instead of one. Um, you know, situations like that. Um, so it's going to be very interesting. I kind of like the 12 team a little more um, because it guarantees group of five. It guarantees conference champions, and now and then the other six teams are at largest. So that would be very entertaining. I like the twelve team. Uh, you wouldn't be able to give the three four week break. It might be a two week break, and then you probably play uh, right before Christmas, the weekend before Christmas. You'd play or Christmas weekend even if it falls incorrectly. A Christmas weekend would be the first round. The second round, which would be eight, would probably be. The weekend at New Year's week, New Year's weekend. Oh, you have to do it earlier than that, though. I have to do it earlier. So you have to play the second weekend in December, which is so probably you get a bye week after the conference championship week. Then the first round, then the second round, then the third round. You may you may get a break before the conference championship game, another bye, and then you play the conference title game or the national championship game rather. So I actually like the 12-team proposal. Very interesting. Um, it could be it's going to interchange. Obviously, it's on the table. It wouldn't even enact till 2024. Uh, conveniently, which is which, which is when Texas and Oklahoma would join the SEC. Um, so let's definitely keep our eye on that.
But that is all we have for today. I thank you guys for, again, another week. This is the 45th consecutive week this year. Uh, We're going to try to go all 52 uh, this year. And so we are on a roll there. I hope you guys have a great rest of your weekend. Um, This is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out.